Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today. On the episode today, Kim Matsukas. She's the head of sustainability and corporate responsibility at Vans. Yes, that is the world-renowned Vans shoe and apparel company founded in 1966. One of my favorite go-to brands for sure. I'm still wearing Vans. Uh, have been since, I don't know, fifth or sixth grade, something like that. But I had a great conversation with Kim talking about her role in the company, managing all the sustainability initiatives um, in the supply chain, kind of within the company culture, etc. We touched on a lot of different things, including her um, her educational path and her career path and, and all the things that um, Vans is up to uh, all the way up to today. So I hope you enjoy the episode. It's a great insight into um, the sustainability career of a professional working in a world-class brand that is rapidly growing and um, is kind of a, a hot, hot, hot company right now. They're they're one of the uh, they're the biggest company under the VF Corp umbrella. That's their parent company. So hopefully you'll find some interesting insights and maybe learn a little bit more about. Um, the sustainability initiatives that you may not have heard about that are happening over there at the Vans company based here in Costa Mesa. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks for checking it out. Welcome to the Underswell podcast, news, stories, brand insights, product reviews, all to help you navigate the complexities of sustainability in your modern lifestyle. As I like to say, business can be done better, and in some cases it is. I'm Derek Sabori, I'm your host, and hey, it's just sustainability. Let's dive in to today's episode. Hey, it's Derek Sabori. We're here on the Underswell Podcast Radio Show. Today, my guest on the show, Kim Matsukas. From Vans, she's the Senior Manager of Sustainability and Social Responsibility at Vans. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. You bet. My pleasure. We're excited to dive in. I've got um, intern Dylan is here with us too, uh, helping to keep notes, checking things out. Um, our intern from Orange Coast College. So uh, Dylan, you good today? Doing great. Doing great. All right. So Kim, you've... Um, You've been on the team at Vans now for a while, and first I need to say, like, I love Vans. I'm, I'm a, I'm, um, I've got a Vans crush. Everybody in my family wears Vans, and I have worn Vans since I can remember. So you're lucky to be with such a great brand. What is that like working for Vans? It's such a cult brand. It's, it's one of the biggest, and it's the hottest, still the hottest, you know, biggest brand around. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting and an interesting experience to work for a brand that when you tell people where you work they get very excited like everyone has a story about vans um and like whether it's like they'll want to tell you about their first pair of vans or about their time that they went to the warp tour or you know just everyone has a story so it's pretty awesome i feel really lucky to be there um and i think like even though the the really interesting thing for me is that even though we've been growing so much over the last six years since I've been there, um, the culture has really not changed much, which is, I think, a pretty big feat. Um, So there's still this really strong um, push by our executive team to keep the culture of action sports there, even as we get bigger and bigger. 
um, and just creativity and just having that culture um, that we've had since you know, the beginning of the brand. Yeah. And would you, so, I mean, you've been there, how many years has it been now for you that you've been there? Six and a half. Six and a half years. So have you seen some change? I mean, I'm sure there's always that struggle to keep the culture, but, or would you say it's been pretty, pretty even keeled? Yeah. I mean, I don't think that we've really strayed much from our heritage. Um, and like I said, there's definitely a, a big emphasis on maintaining the culture and doing things in the band's way, even as we get bigger. So the biggest changes have been just the number of people we employ. Yeah. You know, we moved here to Costa Mesa. Um, you know, we're we're just growing very rapidly. So there's obviously changes that come with that. But like the core of like what we do and what we stand for really have not changed. Yeah, well, it's great to see the the big building there in Costa Mesa. Um, so listeners might know I'm a, I'm a resident of Costa Mesa. Lived and worked here for a year, so I'm glad to have vans here in the backyard. So, welcome to the welcome to the uh, to the city. Um, so, what's your typical day like? I think you know you're in a unique position, you know, to be in the action sports industry and to be for such an iconic brand, but yet to have that role with sustainability and social responsibility in the title, I think is a real. It's an it's an honor, and I think it's something really good. And I. Um, I think yeah, I love looking at your resume, but what does a typical day look like? You know, and who do you who do you report to? Um, so I report to our VP of strategy. Okay. Um, so, which is great because he really works in a cross-functional way, and then everyone that reports to him is also cross-functional. So I could report to a number of different areas, you know, depending on the brand. I've seen it. I've seen sustainability report everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that it's the right fit because I my role is truly cross-functional. So to answer the second part of your question, it really varies. You yeah. know, I'm sure you had the same experience. Yeah. It's like one day, like today, I'm really focused on... Um, a couple things we have next month is our fans gives back which is our um, corporate volunteer days that we do so I'm focused on the planning of that and getting all of our site leaders you know in order and then we also have um, our giving council meeting is at the end of the month so that's where we get together with a group of employees and look through donation um, grants proposals requests and things that people want. so that's like another thing but then you know next month i'm going to be traveling over to asia to to work with our responsible sourcing team on things like rubber traceability mm. <laughs> so it's such a it's such a wide range you know i'm a definitely a generalist yeah. um so i kind of dabble in everything and so there really isn't a typical day um which is good i mean i'm never bored so yeah do you think, so you just said, because I am too, you said you're a generalist. Are you a generalist by nature or by default of the, the position that you have? I mean, I think it's both, you know, because I don't have a huge team, which is most sustainability um, positions are either solo or small teams. Yeah. Um, you sort of, you're sort of forced to be that, but that's also part of my personality. I love learning. I love learning about everything mm -hmm. so i think if i was too focused on one aspect i would get antsy yeah, yeah. Antsy. so it's a good fit yeah um 
So tell so that said then too, what's your what what is your background like? You know, how did you even find your, yourself into this path? I want to know about you. Um, I mean, you've got an extensive education, lots of certifications that you've done. Can you give us a little history of sort of what your path leading up to the Vans role was and give us some background on you? Yeah, so I grew up in Colorado. Um, so I grew up very outdoorsy. Um, and I also grew up with a parent, my my dad, who was just a voracious learner. And I also learned that. So between those two things, like being an outdoorsy person, I mean, we used to go hiking like every weekend mm. during the summer. Um, I just developed this like fascination with nature. Um, and so I knew going into college that I wanted to study science of some kind, biology. Um, so I went to Boston University, I studied biology. I did a semester abroad in Ecuador that was focused on, on tropical ecology. Um, and while I was there, you know, I also became fluent in Spanish. I had planned on minoring in Spanish, so I became pretty fluent. Um, and then I came back and I decided to make it a major. So I was a biology Spanish major in college, but then I left college really not knowing what to do with that. I mean, there's not as much as you, you can't really do much with just an undergrad science degree. But I did learn that like, I didn't wanna just be a scientist. Like I think that it's science is super important and people who do research in academia are very important. I'm not you know, dismissing that. But for me personally, I wanted to like make a difference. I didn't want to just like be in a lab or write papers. So I ended up um, going to the Bren School, which is at UC Santa Barbara. And that program is really focused on interdisciplinary approaches to environmental problems. So, um, you know, you, you learn about science, you learn, which I already knew, but I didn't know very much about law. I didn't know very much about policy. I didn't know anything about business. So you learn all those things. And the idea is that you need all of those different, you know, expertise to actually solve an environmental problem. But when I was coming into that program, I was thinking I was going to work for a nonprofit or Mm -hmm. government. Mm -hmm. I, corporate was not on my radar. And honestly, that there really wasn't a thing back then. Like there was no, there were probably a few, but there weren't many like corporate sustainability roles. So, um, you know, I just went about my business. I took a lot of policy classes, really didn't take any corporate classes, which is funny. (laughs) Um, and then, but, but when I, when I was graduating, I saw this role for an inch, internal, I'm sorry, um, like a entry level position to, um, for interface, which carpet company. Yes. Ray Ray Anderson's carpet. (laughs) So I did have, everyone was required to take one corporate sustainability class. And real Um, quick, was this a, was that a master's program? Yes. Yeah. So everyone was required to take that. There was like a core group of classes that everyone had to take. And one of them was a business class. And they talked about interface during that yep. class. And Ray I, Anderson's book, yes. of course, correction, a must read for all yeah. of our listeners. Yes. And um, also at that time, The Corporation came out, the movie The Corporation, which Ray Anderson is heavily featured. Mm. So between those two things, I remember thinking to myself, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to work for a corporation, I'll, I would work for them. And then I just got very lucky. I mean, it just happened to be around the time I was graduating this entry-level position opened up in yeah. Los Angeles, which okay. is where I wanted to move. Yeah. Um, and they needed someone who spoke Spanish. <laughs> 
Because as they say, we build our own <laughs> luck, though. So you with your Spanish minor. So, yeah. So um, because a lot of my job at that point, when I started there, was working with the... It was actually at the manufacturing facility, and so working with waste teams. Cool. And so I had to conduct meetings in Spanish because a lot of the workers were monolingual. So, um, I, yeah, I just got really lucky. And honestly, at that time, it was like they... Um, there weren't a lot of people who were qualified for that job either. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of shifted now. There's a lot more sustainability programs, but at that time there really weren't. Yeah. So we just happened to find each other. That was a great experience. I learned so much. Um, it's a pretty small company. Was And so was that, um, so was, were you working for Interface proper or was it a, a division called Bentley's? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so Interface was a collection of different carpet brands. Okay. So Bentley Prince, it was called Brentley, Bentley Prince, Prince Street at the time, it's now called Bentley Mills, okay. um, was was a subsidiary of Interface. They've since been sold. Oh, but really? Okay. Yeah, like right after I left. Uh. <laughs> but, um, but it was a great experience. I got to learn a lot from, you know, the people who started that program at Interface. Um, and, you know, the program was already established. Everyone had already, you know, quote unquote, drank the Kool-Aid there. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to convince anyone which is good because I wouldn't have known how to do that back then. But yeah. I really got to learn, one, how business works. I learned a lot about manufacturing. It's working in the supply chain with them. Oh, right? yeah. yeah. A lot about that. A lot about just like what the impacts of products mean, life cycle assessment, third-party certifications. I did the greenhouse gas inventory. I did a lot of um, training of our salespeople. So it was great. It was a great experience. Um, but I was kind of, well, first of all, the because of the nature of that business, it's a business-to-business model, and a lot of our um, cu- pro- um, customers were big banks. <laughs> big banks. So during the during the uh, economic crisis yeah. of like 2008, 2009, that was a very stressful time to work there. Oh, I um, So I was looking for another job for a while. What about like hotels and things though too? I mean, were, were yeah. banks really that big of a? Of yeah, a I mean, it was probably I don't remember the number, but I want to say it was like 30 percent of our wow. business or something. Okay. Yeah. How long were you there altogether? Six years. Six years. So, um, you know, I was looking for a job for a while, and then I had applied for the Vans job, and I'm not sure what happened. I think there was some internal. You know, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I'm sure they reached out to you too. Did, <laughs> did no? I wasn't looking. I wouldn't have been. I wouldn't have been looking at that time. I know, but I'm sure they they <laughs> wanted you. I have a question though. Was um, did that position at Vans exist before, or no. was it a new? And what was? Do you know what the um, the impetus for creating that position was? Yeah. So that was actually one of the questions I asked on my interview. Um, like, why why are you doing this? And you know, they kind of the the answer I was given was sort of um, which I think is what I know to be true now is right, is correct. Their assessment was correct. One is VF had just sort of um, formalized their program about, I don't know, nine, 10 months earlier. Um, So they had, VF had had things going on, but there was not a formal sustainability function. And do your listeners know who VF is? Um, No, let's tell them just in case. (laughs) This is a learning uh, podcast for sure. So we can always... So VF is uh, Van's parent company. They own many apparel brands, including the North Face, Timberland, Reef. Um, those are kind of the main ones. They're definitely one of the bigger, one of the biggest players, one of the bigger players in in the game. Yeah. I think that, yeah, they're one of the biggest apparel conglomerates in the world yeah so um so vf owns uh owns vans vf had just kind of formalized their sustainability program 
And at the time, Vans was the second biggest brand. We're now the first. I know. I saw that. Congratulations. Um, but at the time, we were the second biggest brand, and we didn't have anyone. So there was sort of like, okay, the big brands at least need to need to get someone so we can really actually make progress here. But then also, so it was a little bit of a top down. But then there was definitely a lot of grassroots, which is, I think, how it happens at most companies. And also specifically with Vans, I think it makes a lot of sense. Vans is a very... Um, not a lot of top-down <laughs> um, things like to happen. Told, they don't like to be told what right. to do. Right, you know, it's like, it's like creative. There's the action sports element. You know, it's just it's just much different than working at Interface, for example, yeah, which was yeah. a manufacturing environment, and it was very structured and rules-driven. Vans is like, you know, I think we're given a lot more freedom to kind of voice our opinions and, and, and create things um, in a grassroots way. So there was a lot of um, sort of bubbling up from the employee base about they, they really felt like they wanted, you know, bands to actually have a, a, a formal role, not just kind of have people do it as their side jobs, which is how it always starts, right? Yeah. So. Well, I think that's what I, I like to call that the grilled cheese effect. Right. Like where you've got it coming from the top, a yep. little bit from the top, a little bit from the bottom. And I think it takes both sides just to heat it up just right and get the cheese melted just, right. uh, just perfectly. So, when, I mean, what a, gosh, what a, even a challenge for VF. I mean, Vans has been around since 1966. Right. Right. So, I mean, you've got really deep embedded culture. Um, but um, it seems like they must have done, you know, played nicely and done a, a good job of getting getting to find a good symbiotic relationship with Vans to... I think so. Yeah, make things yeah, happen. Yeah, I think so. They let us be who we are. Yeah. They don't mess with the brand. Well, and especially um, once you become yeah. the biggest brand, then you sort of get a little more, even well, more yeah. leeway. Like, <laughs> well, hey, hey, something's working here. Yeah. Um, they know that the culture and the brand and who, what we stand for is like what makes us special. So right. we don't want to mess with that. So when you come in and you've got the, you know, so you get the job and you land it, you come in. What are your first thoughts when you sort of look around, especially coming from, you know, Bentley to now Vans yeah. and give us a sense of what that was like. Cause I know for me, even, even having been at Vulcan for so long, once I got that position and I was, you know, sort of, uh, made the official person in charge of sustainability, I remember sort of this overwhelming feeling of like, oh my gosh, okay, I got what I wanted, but now what? This is going to be crazy. Yeah, it, it was. I mean, I knew it was going to be a challenge, which is part of the reason I was looking for another job is that I felt like at Bentley, I had gotten to the point where, like, our program had matured to the point where it was like, I could no longer make a big impact. Mm. The The biggest impacts were going to be around um, yarn, you know? Yeah. And those are top-to-top dis- negotiations and discussions, not sustainability manager discussions. Right. So I just felt like, yeah. And, you know, there was times in my life while I was working there that I was like, am I just preaching to the choir here? Or could I go somewhere that like needs a little more nudging, um, you know? And so I knew that was going to be a challenge because they didn't have anything. Unlike when I got into Bentley, there was already kind of the structure. Everyone had bought into it. Ray Anderson was super behind, obviously. Everyone loved Ray. So I didn't have that advance. But I did have a lot of support from the beginning, which is good. And I do think that there is a culture at Vans of doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. So the Van, they talk about the Van Doren spirit a lot when you first start, and it's definitely truly there, I think, which is the Van Dorens are the family that started Vans, yep. for the listeners who don't know. 
and we still have Steve Van Doren and Cheryl Van Doren and Christy Van Doren working at, at Vance. So Steve and Cheryl are the son and daughter of Paul Van Doren, one of the founders, and then Christy is Steve's daughter. Um, and they, I think Steve in particular, he really embodies the Van Doren spirit. So there really always was this culture of like helping people, doing the right thing. Um, so even though we were starting a quote unquote sustainability program, we, I still had that base. It wasn't like I was coming into a place that like only cared about the bottom line always. Yeah. Like Vans has always been more about people than anything. And that's part of the culture. And so commu- and community, right? It yeah, started, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like helping the, on- the underdog, like the skateboarder yep. and like really supporting the culture that supports us. So in some ways it was difficult because I was starting from scratch, but I really do think that having that kind of culture um, made my job a lot easier. Do you want to tell us about the, give us, an, give us an idea of what that nudging process was like, you know, getting to know people and, and leading them towards, you know, kind of letting them know, hey, I'm building this program and here's what we're going to all be up against or, or for. Is there anything to share there? Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, the biggest thing for me was just listening for a long time mm. and trying to understand the business. Cause that was also a big shift. I bet. Like <laughs> the carpet business is very simple yeah, <laughs> compared yeah, to yeah. the apparel and footwear industry. The supply chain is drastically, you know, simpler than, than our supply chain. We, we sold business to business. We didn't have, you know, three different, sales channels like we do in apparel and footwear. So I didn't know very much about how the business ran. So I really tried to take a lot of time to just understand that and then meet with each of the leaders and understand their challenges outside of sustainability. Like what, what keeps you up at night? And then I think when you come from a place of actually putting yourself in that person's shoes, the way you approach them about sustainability um, comes from a more genuine place. So it's not like I'm coming in with my own agenda. I'm coming in and saying, I understand what your issues are. Here's how I think sustainability could, could help mm. with that. So that's been my approach. And I think it's been a good one. It's I a think. really good one. And I, and I always look like students will always ask like, Hey, how do I get that job? How do I get a job like that? And I, I look back and I know I got my role um, by already being in the business and right. understanding what it was going to take. That budgets matter, calendars matter, mm-hmm. you know, being efficient, getting things done on time. It's like all that is sort of the priority. And then how do you do that sustainably? So you've got to know, you've got to have empathy, I guess, for mm-hmm. all the roles and all the things that everybody else deals with on a daily basis. Yeah. When you're like an influencer and a multi, you work with multi-stakeholders, I think empathy is super important. Definitely. It's a skill that you, uh, you, you learn. And then you, cause, and that's why sustainability takes so long too, because right. you have to realize, okay, that's fine. We didn't get it this season. How about next season? Right. You know, how about we'll do 10% next season and then we'll go from there, you know? And then all of a sudden you might miss it again and you have to be patient and say, okay, well, I'll right. just keep pushing. I'll keep pushing. I've got, um, I, I think you mentioned supply chains and I was always, you know, even being in one company for so long, the more I learned about the supply chain and apparel and textiles and for you and footwear, you know, we did a little bit of footwear too. It's, it's crazy how complex the yes. supply chain is, right? Yes. Um, and I'm, you're always trying to explain that to people and saying, man, it's, that's why it's so hard. It's a difficult, mm-hmm. you know, job that you've got because 
the supply chains are ridiculous. Tell us about that and tell us um, what, maybe what you've learned and some of your, your fun stories from dealing with supply chains. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I went from having at Bentley, you know, I think we had our, our major um, materials were yarn and latex. Mm-hmm. And we had three yarn suppliers and two latex suppliers. Easy. And we, um, and that's all there were. Like Jeez. there really are, are only three nylon um, yarn suppliers in the world, really. Wow. Um, so, and then there's, you know, two latex suppliers. <laughs> so really, and if I need, if I had a question about a product or how something was made or, you know, I could get really precise with it. Um, I, all I had to do was like walk downstairs to the manufacturing floor and like ask one of the managers like, wow. Hey, can you like, let me know like what this means in the latex formulation? Yeah. Okay. Um, it's much different <laughs> with apparel because yeah. we're we're global. We outsource um, a lot of our manufacturing, so it just creates like more layers, I guess, of of people to get through to get information. So I think one of the biggest things I learned is that you just have to kind of um, be okay with like um, good enough. Mm. You're not going to be able to get like I could get at at Interface. I could get down to like the pound the exact pounds of yarn that we purchased. Right, yep. It's gonna be very difficult to do that sure. for, for, you know, a, a business, any kind of apparel or footwear business. So um, you just have to kind of be a, a little bit, you have to be okay with like more ambiguity um, and know that as long as you're directionally going in the right, you know, the right way that, that you're doing, you're making a difference. Yeah. Um, We've gotten better at it for sure, as far as like putting processes in place to actually like, how do we measure this? But it's not, it's it's definitely much harder than um, my previous position. Do you rely on, do you rely on the the parent company for, for good help and support? Are you kind of on your own? Do you have a team within? Where do you get most of your support from? So when it comes to supply chain, the, Yes, we so VF has a very actually super developed and um, comprehensive um, responsible sourcing program. So I rely on them for a lot. Um, they do everything from, you know, safety at, at factories, mm-hmm. fire safety, electrical safety, structural safety, to helping um, factories who um, need to get into compliance with yeah. our social, st- um, with our social standards. Um, is that part of your role as well as social compliance? No, no. So, so social compliance, the auditors themselves are their own thing. Cause they have to be completely separate, yeah. but then the responsible sourcing team, if there's an, an issue at the factory that maybe, you know, if it's a serious issue, that's one thing. But if it's like a small thing, that's like, they maybe were missing some paperwork you know, the responsible sourcing team will come in and kind of capacity building Mm -hmm. with the factories because it's not that they're not doing the things. They may just not know how to track them properly. So they come in and do that. They also do things around sustainability at the factory. So energy efficiency, wastewater, um, making sure that they're in line with those standards. They help with our, our cotton initiatives. Um, so I definitely rely on them a lot um, for information and for, you know, just kind of understanding um, the supply chain. Cool. So, Kim, what are um, – tell me about that, though. You just mentioned the cotton initiative that you did. What, is, what are some of the highlights in the supply chain or some of the fun projects that, that, you, that, that you think are worth sharing or, or some of your, your favorite pet projects, I guess, if you will? 
Yeah, I think one of the biggest impacts we've been able to make in product is around cotton. So, you know, Better Cotton Initiative, which um, I'm sure you're familiar with, but yeah, for but listeners that aren't, um, it's it's a scheme, it's a sustainable cotton growing scheme, they call it, very European way to put it. Yeah, it's known as BCI cotton, <laughs> yeah. right? So BCI is sort of, the idea is that they go into... Um, into villages and rural areas that grow cotton. Uh, most of it is concentrated in India, Pakistan, and China. Which is where most of the... That's where a lot of cotton is grown, yeah. yes. I mean, it's ever, it's in other places too, but those are kind of the main areas. And they teach farmers how to grow cotton more sustainably. So they teach them how to use the pesticides properly so they're not overusing them, how to use them safely, how to um, identify pests that are beneficial versus pests that are bad for the crop. So, you know, the result of all that is that you get a lower impact cotton. You know, they use less chemicals, they use less energy, water, um, et cetera. Um, but also there's a social component. So farmers have a higher yield and they usually have less input costs as well mm. because they're using less um, um, pesticides. So they, they make more money. And will customers be able to differentiate that on the products they have? Are there, can you brand it in the hang tags or? You can, but yeah. it's pretty difficult to do. Yeah. Um, I, I shouldn't say it's difficult. We haven't done that yet because okay. it requires like a chain of custody and, and there's just a lot of requirements that you have to do to actually put it on a hang tag. Mm -hmm. So the way that we've kind of approached it is let's just try to source as much BCI cotton as we can and track it internally. Um, and like, we won't talk about it from a consumer perspective because we're able to do it the way and BCI cotton. The whole point is that to do it at a very low cost because mm -hmm. they want to make sustainable cotton um, ubiquitous. Like, in, you know, because part of the reason that organic cotton is so expensive is that it's got a chain of custody. Right, right. <laughs> it's pretty rigorous, which is good and important. But like, could that go across the entire supply chain? Maybe not. Yeah. So. Um, um, BCI, the idea is to like really be widespread, which they've done a pretty good job of that. And really trying to keep it cost neutral, Correct. right? And affordable. So we've, so our approach has been, let's just do it. Yeah. We will talk about it in kind of big terms, but we don't put anything on the, on the hang tag. It's something we've considered and we may do in the future, but, yeah. um, at this point we're not doing it. I would love to see it. I mean, especially as for how many vans we buy, yeah. I always go in there and every once in a while I'll find something that has a hemp hang tag yeah. on it or something. And I'm always, so I'm always looking and I know, I love that you're there. So I know there's stuff going on yeah. but for us consumers. You want to be able to go, it's like, that's the section I want, or that's the shoe I want. Where's your organic cotton? Where's your BCI yeah. cotton? Where's your recycled, you know, polyester. How about I'm sure for you guys, um, your biggest fibers probably are, are polyester and cotton. So is yes. there anything going on with polyester? Any recycled polyester that you're using or, or other? Yeah, so um, VF actually released their sus new sustainability goals um, at the end of last year. Mm -hmm. And they include um, a bunch of different um, goals around materials. Yeah. So we'll have 100% sustainable cotton by 2025. Cool, which is right around the corner. Which would, so the BCI would classify as that sustainable BCI, cotton. BCI, and it's I should I should caveat it's non U.S. grown cotton because there's I could talk for another hour about why that is. But, yeah. Um, Real quickly though, can we touch on that? Because I think I know, I mean right, it's just there's not a lot of U.S. cotton available for anybody else aside from the very few people who are buying it up. Well, 
we actually VF uses quite a bit of U.S. cotton okay. because um, we make a lot of jeans in Mexico. Okay, yeah, yeah. So um, not Vans. Vans doesn't use very much, but VF does. Um, but the reason that BCI cotton doesn't apply in the U.S. is because the U.S. cotton growers say we are already, We're already above doing all the level. Which I've been to a, a cotton farm in China and I've been to one in Arkansas. They're very different. The one mm. in Arkansas is one person writing, I forgot what those things are called. The hot combine harvester? Yes, yeah, combine. The big, huge yes. ones? Yeah. It's one person and it's like uses lasers to put the the pesticides exactly where it should go the water exactly where it should go yeah in china everything's done by hand so i think there is an argument to be made but um that's a constant conversation that's happening with like u.s cotton growers but so just to make things kind of more simple we just said anything that's not u.s grown cotton would be grown sustainably got it and it is really i mean just the conversation on its own because i know even once you start talking about BCI versus organic right. versus, you know, then you get into the GMO conversation. Like I always, even when I talk to students, like, well, you know, which is better? It's like, well, it just depends. Right. Like it depends. That we, like you said, you could talk all day and you can, there's, there's right. angles for everything. So I interrupted you though, back to the VF goals and, and polyester. So there's goals around um, polyester and nylon, 35% recycled content, polyester and nylon by, I believe it's 2025 also. Okay. Um, and then a 35% reduction in materials across the board, uh, impacts of materials impacts. across the board okay. by 2025. How are you guys measuring your impacts? So that's using the Higindex yep. MSI scoring. Cool. Tell us about that. <laughs> I love it. And I think it's great. And I think consumers should know about it because it, it could eventually become consumer facing at some point. Yeah. Yeah. So the Higindex is a product of the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which is a group of apparel and footwear brands that's been around probably for almost 10 years now. Um, started by Walmart in Patagonia, which yeah, is interesting, an interesting... Right? Interesting um, history there. Yeah. Who would have thought? Um, and the idea is that there's all... If everyone goes about this on their own, it's going to be way too complicated for suppliers, for consumers, for customers. So why don't we all get together and pre-competitively come up with a standard for products? Mm. So they have a few different modules. They have the one that's kind of the most... Um, established is the factory module so um kind of rating the environmental impact at the factory but there's also a a product um module and that measures the the impact of the product and a big part of an impact of a product is the materials and so there's a, a ranking basically using life cycle assessment data um, that helps to score, translate life cycle assessment impacts into a score for a particular material. So that the designer can model out a choice they might make and see which one has yes, a better impact. And that's then, the idea. Yeah. And and like you said, like, I, I don't know if this will happen, but it is possible that the, that eventually these could be, the scores could be on products. Yeah. So. And it's, um, gosh, it's, and this is why I try, I, I like doing this show and even getting this information out there to consumers because a lot of this, we all know this and we take it for granted right. and we know it's like, yeah, there's so many good things going on in this space. Consumers are sort of left going, you know, and interns and students are going, you know, once you tell them what the problems are, they're, they throw their hands up going, are you kidding me? Why is nobody doing anything? Well, we are and they are. Yeah. There's some good brands doing some really cool things. So, um, but it's just all behind the scenes. So I want right. to get it out there to people right. and let them know. Um, 
how about um, how about end of life then with your products? You know, but well, so rubber I'm sure for you guys is another big yes. you know big material. So any any initiatives on rubber? Before you answer that, I'm gonna go back because I meant to tag onto this. When you say 35%, let's say recycled polyester, some people might go, well, that doesn't seem like that much. It is a lot. It's a lot, right? (laughs) That's a lot. I know it is. Um, So I always try to remind people when they see those targets, even if it's 20%, 30%, 40%, those are big numbers for all the vans to switch over and that's that's really moving the needle, right? Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah. what, what do you think before those targets, you know, what kind of numbers were we looking at, you know, as percent, percent of better cotton or percent of recycled? Um, I mean, we had been doing pretty well on better cotton, honestly. Okay. So both in footwear and apparel, um, we had moved pretty past 50%. Oh, good. Sourcing. Nice, good. Congratulations. Um, but, and that, you know, it changes from yeah. season to season. but. Um, and then on the on the polys, you know, we don't use that much poly. We oh, do okay. in we do in apparel. Um, you know, we had some board shorts. We had you know our basic board shorts were um, 100% recycled PET. We're doing a uh, hopefully doing something soon with backpacks. Cool. Because um, that's a, another big user of of poly. But you know that wasn't as as high for us as the BCI. But it, now you know that we have this goal, we're kind of putting the plans in place to how we're going to do that. I think the backpack, if we can switch our backpacks over, it'll be a big, be a big thing. chunk. Yeah. Yeah. Nice work. Um, so how about then if we jump to end of life for products? Because I think this is no even even if you know anything about to the to the customers, not to you, Kim, but I, you know when we start talking about end of life and recycling clothes and textiles. There are programs kind of in place, you know, certain things can be recycled easier than yeah. others. Um, a lot of people think, oh, when you take it back, it can all just be recycled and made into the closed loop, you know, manufacturing process is, is there's a lot going on in carpet, but right. for clothing, it's actually, you know, these hybrid beasts, right? We've got all these fibers and stuff and nobody has, we're getting closer, but nobody's figured out to like, yes, give me all your stuff. I'll break it all down into new, new cellulose and, um, and new molecules and you have new yarns coming up. Not quite there yet. Shoes, I feel like is even, not I feel like, but I think I know, is even further away from on the recycling side. Am I right? And do you guys have any vision or hope or progress of being able to take shoes and bringing them back into the into the manufacturing process? Yeah, you know, it's funny because that's like one of my main um, goals for the year is this project, which I can't give too many details on, but because it's not um, out there yet. But yeah. Um, Circular product is definitely a big area that we're looking at. If you look at VF's um, new strategy that they announced at the end of last year, which included all the goals I talked about, that's one of the pillars is circular product. Nice. So um, the way Vans is looking at that is is has to do with end of life. But I think you're right. I mean, I think the biggest kind of hurdle we have to get over is just the technology piece. Um, and so if we can somehow get to that place where the separation of different materials is easier and less less costly and maybe we could even have like regional because the other thing is like all the logistics to send it places mm-hmm. if you could have like micro recycling little, um, little yeah. ports at each location like it doesn't all... have to be a huge recycling center maybe we could have it at every mall or something right um, you know, I think that w- there's there's some exciting things going on there. So I, I'm optimistic that it can be solved. The other thing is, like, for vans, like, we really think about the consumer a lot. 
Um, and so one of the ways with, through this project that I'm trying to kind of solve this problem from the other side of the equation is how do we make this an, enga- an engagement opportunity with consumers? Um, so rather than just like taking old shoes or having them like drop it off at a, at a Goodwill or whatever, um, how do we create another touch point with consumers using recycling? Because then it becomes a real value to us because we get to learn more and we get to engage with the consumer more. So I know that's kind of vague, but no, but I like that. So are there plans for it? There's something. Yes. Yeah. I think yes. that's, it's super key and it goes back to that grilled cheese effect, right? It takes both sides. I'm a huge believer that the biggest responsibility lies on us brands, you know, because somebody like Vans has such an impact when you decide that that's a story you're going to tell and say, Hey guys, it's time to start recycling your shoes. People will listen right. and they will do it. Um, if we just try to put out a, like a PSA that says, hey, everybody, recycle your shoes, take them here, it doesn't work as well because people are just trying to get by and they just want to go to the van store and buy their stuff and, you know, pass it on when it gets done. So I, I love hearing about that. I think that's exciting. Um, how do you guys, how do you think you, what a challenge to balance sus- just the term sustainability compared to and juxtaposed with the stellar and amazing growth that you guys continue to see, the amount of product that you put out into the world, right now being kind of one of those top global brands, how do you, how do, how do you rationalize those two things, if that's the right word? Yeah, I mean, I think it it's just makes it more important. You're <laughs> it right. just makes yeah, the it makes, sustainability makes more important. Yeah. Um, because we know as we grow, we have to continue to even put more of a focus on how we make our products and what our products are made of. Yeah. And it just makes our scale, um, if we can use our scale for good, that's actually another pillar in the VF strategy is called scale for good. So there's like certain ways that because of our scale, especially when you combine us with VF, you know, we have the power to like really move the needle on Mm -hmm. things. And so that's kind of how I look at it, you know, rather than thinking of it as a negative, I, I just think of it like now we have this opportunity to really do good, right? Change the world. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, because I believe too, once you guys, if whether you find a solution, implement something, come out strong with something like that, everybody will follow. All the other brands, you know, will follow. And that's why I love, you know, just the role that we get to play because we get to watch that domino effect sort of happen. You know, I'm, I'm always trying to remind the brands like, guys, if you do it, the others will come. Right. And there's always one brand that we all talk about, you know, um, as, as a leader with somebody to look up to. And it's, a, it's, it's Patagonia, right? And there's so much room for other brands to play a role, you know, in that leadership space too. So definitely sounds like you guys are on your way. Good <laughs> job. Um, how about um, advice? So we're getting down to the, uh, to the part where you know, students, a lot of students will listen, young professionals. And I think right now, um, in my last podcast with Vipe Desai, he said, hey, I think we are uh, just at the just at the birth stage of a movement that is happening, right? And I think you would agree, this, there's some really exciting things happening in sustainability. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be involved. Everybody is, is saying, how do I get your job? You know what? I'm, I'm quitting my old job. <laughs> I want to do what you do. What do you say to them? Um, so I say a couple things. I say... One, we don't need like 200 of me at Vans. Right. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if I'm doing my job correctly, I shouldn't need a big team yeah. because everyone else has, had, has sustainability as part of their job. Totally. So, you know, if you're a designer or a developer or an accountant, 
and you have a passion for sustainability, there are ways that you can move the needle in your particular function or at least support someone like me. Mm -hmm. Um, So I know that's not as, um, you know, some people really want to do this job and that's, that's great. We definitely need people. Um, But, but that's not the only way to, to make a difference. You know, I wish every single person that I work with had, you know, a sustainability minor and, you know, came into this with that mindset, which we actually have like quite a few, which is nice. nice. So it's gotten easier over time. But um, just from the education standpoint, you know, they already know the issues. Yeah. So yeah, I would say that's, that's my number one. But if you really want this kind of a job, I mean, I think that, um, you know, if you're in school doing real projects is something that is important, right? So I, I hired a few people when I um, worked at Bentley and I always looked for, you know, I wasn't, they were entry level. So I wasn't looking for like years of experience in this particular field, but I was looking to make sure that they understood how to work with different stakeholders. So whether it be, you know, helping to implement a recycling program at their college or doing the carbon footprint of, um, you know, their college, you know, working with different people and understanding how to pull off a project like that, I think is important and something that I would look for when I hire. Um, and then just really understanding, cause I, I think that some people think these kinds of roles are super glamorous and don't get me wrong. Like it's amazing work, but it's, but you have to have a particular personality for it. Like you have to be the type of person who likes to influence mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> because I don't have direct control over anyone. Right. I don't tell anyone what to do. I just have to make them want to do it. Back to your nudging. Thing. <laughs> We're constantly nudging all day long. So right? that has to be your personality yeah. or else you're going to be miserable. And you've got to be persistent yes. and be able to take your lumps and sort of, or take your defeats. You know, it's like, Hey guys, we're not there, but let's, let's keep going, keep right. going. And you've always got to kind of stay upbeat too. Like, yep. you know, get excited about it because I think for those of us who, when you study this, when you know it, it can be really overwhelming too. It's like the more you know, the harder you know it is. And then it can be really a... Well, yeah. And I think too, the other thing is like, which I've learned over time, I didn't always know this and it's, it caused me problems, particularly at my last job, which is to be choiceful and strategic about what you do. Cause there's like, there, there are a, a list of a million things that I could be doing yeah, at any day. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. This is really good advice. <laughs> so, like, what am, what am I going to do that makes the most impact, both for the brand and for the environment? Yeah. Like, that's kind of how the lens I look at it. Like, is this going to help vans, and is this going to help the earth? And can we accomplish it? Like, can, yeah. Can we, can and we how hard it? is it? To yeah. Do? How, yeah. And how you know? Because um, yeah. then you got to kind of put your blinders on and be like, you know what? That's where we're. That's where we're. We're staying in this lane. Yeah. And then once we get to a certain point, then it's like, okay, I can start to add something else on. But you're right because there are so many things, whether it's water, energy, climate, emissions, you know, chemicals, so you can go everywhere, waste, end of life, you know, it's like, yeah. gosh, you can easily be overwhelmed. How about to companies? So what do you, um, what kind of words of wisdom do you have to, you know, brands who don't have a program in place or startups or big companies who are like, you know what, we need to be doing something. What's, what's your advice to them? Um, I mean, I would say that it's the main thing, main message I would want to get across is that this isn't a trend. I remember when I started at Bentley, that was kind of some, some people asked me that and I'm like, what? <laughs> um, 
but yeah, it's definitely not a trend. It's definitely here to stay. Yeah. Why do you think that? Um, I mean, I, I've been doing it now for almost 13 years. Um, and there are people who have been doing it longer than me. Yeah. And it's also just been shown to add value to the business from many different levels, whether it be talent, uh, attraction, risk management, cost savings, consumer engagement. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that it adds value. Um, you know, it's does it show up as a line item on the financial um, books? No, but many things that we do don't. Right. And so people who have experienced, um, you know, working at a brand that has a program, I think can see it. Um, so I would say it's not going away. I would also say that, like, if you're looking to get started and you feel overwhelmed, I'm sure there are people who work in your company who do have some knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, we have quite a few people, especially a lot of, you know, I would say in the last, like, five years that we've hired who have, you know, sustainability minors. They're designers with a sustainability minor or product developers or, um, you know, supply chain folks. And so... There is knowledge there. Um, I would say start tapping into them first. Um, you know, you, you can take small steps at the beginning. You yeah. don't have to, like, dive in completely and just, you know, hire five people and make it, a, you know, you can start with a, a grassroots kind of interested employees and then build it from there. Yeah. Um, that's good advice. And I know that's how that's how I started, just grassroots. Start right. small. Be, be okay with that. Um where do you go for inspiration and learning and continuing? Because I know you're somebody who is, you know, you've, you've always continued to learn and pursue new things. And you even have your LEED certification. I do. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So, where, I mean, how are you, how are you keeping, um, you know, the nutrients flowing? So as far as inspiration, I would say I go outside. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I go back to Colorado um, for a week every summer and go camping in the mountains and like turn everything off. And I'm just, that just reminds me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, and just rejuvenates me, um, and gives me a lot of like inspiration to keep going. Also scuba diving. I'm a big scuba diver. So if I've had a rough week, I'll tell my husband, Hey, let's go diving this weekend. I need it. (laughs) And I just get renewed by that. Um, but as far as learning goes, I mean, I feel like I'm always reading a book. Um, not always about environmental stuff. Um, sometimes I need a little break from that. Yeah. But um, I probably read, you know, a book every two weeks. Good for you. Um, I, I have a long commute, so I listen. Are you on an Audible, Audible, uh, Audible yes, listener? Audible. Me too. I never read. I never have never read so many books in my life. Right. Thanks to Audible. Right? So good. Um, What's your? Uh, do you have any recommendations for the audience? Fiction, otherwise, oh, whatever. Just for one fun. of the best um, fiction books I just read is called All the Light We Cannot See. I read that. Oh it's my beautiful. god! It's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. Yeah, I, it really is. I, I can't even explain it. It's so good. Yeah. Um, and then The Goldfinch was another one that was really good. I haven't read that one. Okay. Um, yeah, and then I read as far as like keeping up on on sustainability stuff. I read uh, Green Biz like pretty much every day. I don't read every article, but you know I'll scroll through it and. Try to. I just try to keep up with like what's going on. Make sure you're in the know. Yeah, that's kind of my main source, I would say, of keeping up with um, what's going on in this world. Yeah, eco textile news. Yeah, is a good one. Um, 
sustainable brands is a good one. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. Do you what. go to the conferences? Do you go to conferences? Yeah, like that? I yeah. do. I do. I, I have to make it a point to do it. Cause it's like, it's so easy to be like, I'm too busy, but, um, once you're there, it's a really powerful thing. Totally. Yeah. Because you're like surrounded by your people, yep. you know? And that's like another form of inspiration. Like you're surrounded by people who are faced with the same challenges and, you know, have the same view of the world as you. And yeah. It's nice. Inspiration and motivation. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners check it out. Sustainable brands. They do a conference um, every year, actually in all parts of the world. Now mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing. Kim, what is, um, Real quick, too, what I should acknowledge when we mentioned lead, but I mean, and I, there's a lot been written on it, so we won't spend too long, but the, the, your building is, I know, is a real something you're real proud of, too. I'm sure you should be proud of it, of how what you guys have been able to do with the your lead certified building there. In yeah, Mesa. so our headquarters is a lead platinum building. Um, yeah, it's it's it was a great experience to work on that project. We got a lot of support from the executive team on, on making those... Um, changes that we needed to make in order to to get that certification so we have a one megawatt solar array um it powers about 70 percent of our our building um we have 34 ev charging stations for employees that are free to use which by the way we have way more than 34 people i was just gonna say (laughs) so we're gonna have to add more soon yeah um we you know we use low low flow water fixtures water efficient landscaping um, you know, all the, all the bells and whistles. Checked off all the boxes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, that one's a good one. You can find a lot of articles on, on yeah. what you've done there. So definitely go check that out. Um, you guys. So what's next, Kim, what's next for vans and the sustainability program? You know, what do you, anything you can share with us you're excited about? You sort of did that, but I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the big things that I'm excited about are the materials, um, goals that we have now and just kind of working with the product teams to figure out how we're going to you know, meet those goals mm-hmm. is a big one. Another one, which should be kind of becoming public by the end of the year is a, pro- a project, which is super fun and exciting on um, supply chain transparency. Awesome. So giving more information to the consumer about where their products come from and telling the story of the product. So good. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then, like I mentioned, the, the product end of life consumer engagement um, project that I've been working on. But there's lots of stuff. I mean, I always have stuff going on. Yeah, it seems like it. And you mentioned even giving, too. You guys do a lot of work with nonprofits Mm -hmm. and do a lot of giving back, Mm -hmm. too, right? Which is really cool. Mm -hmm. Is that something that kind of rolls up under you as well? It does, actually. Um, Just pretty recently, actually, maybe about a year ago, it was sort of dispersed among a few people, and they rolled it all, all up under me about a year ago. Um, so yeah, we do, we do quite a bit. I think the biggest area that we've, um, we've given is, um, with our reusable bags at, in our retail stores. So we have two different bags. One benefits Ascape, mm-hmm. um, and one benefits Surfers Healing. Those organizations both work with children with autism and, and give them the opportunity either to skate or to surf. Um, and so we started that program thinking, oh, we'll try to raise $10,000 for Acegate. Um, we've raised almost $2 million for Whoa. them. So <laughs> it, that's what a, is it? Uh, you ask them, would you like to donate, right? Here's a bag. Would you like to? Yeah. So you if buy you buy bag? the bag, the, the um, portion of the proceeds goes to, to Acegate or Surfers Healing. And I mean, that's an example of a grassroots effort that like our, our head of retail operations was just like, 
she went to a, a Vance Gives Back Ace Gate event and was so touched and wanted to help them that she was like, we'll just try to sell some bags for them. And then it just became this thing. That's so, really cool. Yeah. And what you guys have, I mean, how many stores do you have? You have hundreds. Over 500 in North America. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, you can really make a dent. Yeah, for sure. So do you have any, um, Kim, do you have any messages to the, uh, out to the industry if, we, if you had to sort of be on a pedestal and, and, <laughs> and shout with a, a megaphone out to the, our immediate industry, if you will? What might you say? Um, I mean, I would say come along on this journey. Like I said, it's it doesn't have to be super formal. It depends on the size of your brand. If you're a small brand, you know, you don't necessarily need a dedicated person. But there's so many things that everyone can do. Even just small things like making sure that you have a recycling program in your office. Like you'd be surprised that there's plenty that don't. So, yeah. you know, just starting small there, um, and then and then also looking at the product. You know, it's it's definitely something that consumers are going to continue to ask for more and more. They're demanding more of us. Yep. And especially with like social media and whatnot, it's, it's just becoming a bigger risk not to do anything. So yeah, I agree. How about then to your customers? Uh, what do you want to say? What, what can you say to your, cause I'm sure I would almost bet that every person listening to this has a pair of vans in their closet. <laughs> what would you say to them? Um, I would say that we're just, we're definitely committed to continuing to improve, you know, um, we, like you said, we don't talk about it the way that some other brands do. We don't shout it from the rooftops, but we're always committed to doing the right thing. And, and, you know, Vans is, is just content, um, committed to continuing to improve in this area, which is really great. And it sounds, uh, from what I can tell, the the program is in good hands with you, <laughs> Kim. And I would love to see you guys shouting it from the rooftops because I think you guys have a real opportunity to, you know, really influence some change. So, um, but keep doing what you're doing. Thank you very much for all Thank the work you. you're putting into it. Thanks for coming and talking yeah. to us on the show. And um, we'll keep an eye out then for all those initiatives out in the marketplace. Thanks, Derek. All right. Thanks, Kim. To hear more stories like this, or to learn more about our host, visit theunderswell.com.